We're continuing our series on the early monarchy, the young kingdom of Israel. As we recall, we, we set it up the first week. We talked about how Israel demanded a king. And by doing so, they really were saying, God, we want a man to be our leader. We don't want you to be our leader. And we asked the question, who will be the king in our life? Will we sit on the throne of our heart or will God sit on the throne of our heart? And then last week, we looked broadly at the life of Saul. And we saw how initially he had the Holy Spirit in his life, but as he had himself as king in his heart more and more, God's Spirit left him, and it allowed an evil spirit to come into his life. And eventually, he found himself even consulting uh, with the evil spirits, trying to find a glimmer of hope. But his heart was so hardened that in the end, his life ended in ruin. And we asked, which spirit will control our life? Well, today we're taking a look at young King David. We're taking a look at this person whom God selected to be his king in replacement of King Saul. So I invite you to open up your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we want to look at the anointing beginning here, uh, the anointing of David. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I was telling Sarah we could spend six months going through the book of 1 Samuel. We're not going to do that. Maybe some other time we'll just do a series on David himself. But I'm trying to look at some of the, the highlights, the overview, some of the main themes that run through. And you'll probably notice a lot of the themes run together. They tie together. Um, and they affect our lives. The same thing that we struggle with today is what they struggled with back then. They're not just stories about history. These are people who wrestled with real issues. And by looking at their life example, hopefully we can make good choices, and even better choices than they made. 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel goes to the town, and he's there really to anoint the next king, but God hasn't told him exactly which person it's going to be. But he knows the household, he goes to the household of Jesse, and we started in verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, this is the oldest son of of Jesse. He's tall, he's strong, he's good-looking. And Samuel thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He looked at him and he just thought, yes, that's a king. Much like the people looked at Saul, who was taller than anybody else, and they thought, that's our king. Samuel's kind of fallen into this same outward appearances thing. But look at verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks where? At the heart. Boy, isn't that true? We look at the outward appearance, don't we? We look at people and we prejudge them. We say, Oh, that's a safe person. I don't need to lock my doors. Oh, that person, unsafe. Let me lock my doors. We don't know their heart. We don't know their heart. I'm not saying we shouldn't lock our door. I always lock my doors every time I get in my car. Immediately. It's just a good thing these days. Um, but we shouldn't be prejudging people. I remember when I was in high school, I was assigned to sit in a seat 
at chapel. We all had assigned seatings. They, they changed every month or two. And I looked out on the wall, and I saw that I was sitting next to this one girl. And I looked at that name, and I thought, ugh, this is not going to be a good month and a half. Because I already knew I did not like her. I had seen her, and I knew I didn't like her. I knew it was not going to be a good experience. Well, time goes by. I sit next to her. I chat with her, and I realize she's actually a very nice person. I'm the one who's not the nice person. I had prejudged her by looking at her outward appearance, by looking at some of the friends that she hung out with, and I said, I'm not going to like her. But when I had the opportunity to get to know her, she was a wonderful person, and she taught me about myself and my need for God in my life. Isn't this what we do? Isn't this how we interact with people? It's interesting. Sometimes we, we feel bad if we miss an appointment with somebody who's maybe really influential or wealthy, but if we miss an appointment with somebody who maybe doesn't have the same wealth or influence, we maybe don't feel quite as bad. The book of James has a lot to say about that. God looks at the heart. He doesn't consider the outward appearance. Samuel himself, the great prophet, fell into this trap, trap we fall into. So it continues on, verses 8 through 11. One by one, each son is paraded in front of the prophet. And one by one, Samuel's thinking, surely this must be the one. God says, uh-uh, that's not the one. They come down to it. Samuel's like, are there any other sons? Are there any other young men? Verse 11, he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and he brought him in and he was ruddy with fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise, anoint him, for he's the one. You know, it's not a sin to be good looking. David here apparently was a good looking kid. But he wasn't that tall, mature, grown-up person that Samuel was thinking. And as God looked at him, what he really was, was valuing in David was his heart. Verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Then Samuel went back to Ramah. So here we have, from the very beginning of David's reign. David is not ruling as king yet, but God had anointed him, and then he was waiting until that chosen time when he would take the throne in power. David waited up, uh, ended up waiting a long time um, on God's timing to become king. But from the very beginning here, he's anointed, the Holy Spirit is with him, and the thing that God values most about David is David's heart. David's what? His heart. We're going to see this over and over again. Interesting to look at the contrast in verse 14. We looked at this last week. But right after it says the Holy Spirit came upon David and worked on him with power, verse 14 it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit had moved in. We see this contrast. Saul rejects the Holy Spirit. David receives the Holy Spirit. What's the first thing David does 
uh, in chapter 17, after the Spirit comes upon him with power, we have the whole story of David and Goliath. Talk about a powerful demonstration of what the Holy Spirit can do through each one of us. We're not going to detail that story today as good of a story as it is, but we see from the very beginning, David's reign was about his heart, not about his exterior or the other things that he could offer. I'm going to go back, though, to 1 Samuel 13, and again look at the verses that describe the rejection of Saul. We want to see exactly why was it. What more can we learn about why God chose David as king? And we see some clues in 1 Samuel 13, 13. We read these last week. We're looking at a different aspect this week. Samuel, after Saul disobeys God, he says, You acted foolishly. Samuel said, You have not kept the command of the Lord that your, Lord, that your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The reason his kingdom didn't endure is because Saul had rejected God, disobeyed God. And now, verse 14, it says, The Lord has sought out a man after what? After his own heart. A unique phrase here that appears once here in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. We'll get to that verse in just a moment. But it says, God is seeking out a man who's after his heart and has appointed him, or, and appointed him as leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Again, emphasizing here, Saul, you disobeyed. I've anointed somebody else. Saul, you disobeyed. Now, before we, we feel like this is all about some legalistic thing where um, it's only about this legalistic obedience, I want to take you to 1 Samuel 15, and I want you to notice something. 1 Samuel chapter 15, there, uh, verse 11 and we'll see that it's not just about obedience. It's not just about this, did you do yes, yes or no, check this box. If you didn't check the box, well then you're, you're off the list. It's not that simple. Uh, that's the way that our, maybe a legalistic mindset would take us. But I want you to see 1 Samuel 15, verse 11. This is that story of King Agag, uh, whom Saul did not destroy as he was instructed to do. Verse 11. I am very grieved, this is the voice of God, that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. There are two parts here. There's disobedience included in this verse, but before disobedience, there's something else mentioned. Yeah, it says, he has turned away from me. Here we see a relationship that is broken, which results in disobedience. It wasn't just that Saul disobeyed, because as we look at the life of David, David had some very big times where he disobeyed God. Amen? Very big times. But what we see before that is Saul had turned away from God, turned his back on God, which resulted in all of these incidences of disobedience. The primary issue with sin is not the behavior itself, but primarily it's the relationship that we sever. 
the relationship that we break. And when we're out of relationship with God, it's no wonder we sin. It's no wonder that these things happen. When we reject the Holy Spirit in our life, it's no wonder the evil spirits have access to our heart. The primary thing we need to focus on is first relationship. And as the relationship grows, as we abide in the vine, Jesus said we will bear much fruit. We need to focus, as we've talked about, on the root of the issue, not so much the fruit. We get to the root, the fruit will be taken care of. Church work be the other weekend, oh, last Sunday we had some fun tearing out some weeds. Uh, uh, and there were some times when we didn't quite get all the roots out. And I thought to myself, uh-oh, this just might come back. Sometimes it's very hard, especially in those cracks. We were trying to get the ones on the sidewalks too. It's amazing how weeds will just grow anywhere. Um, but flowers and, and the things that we want to grow, it, it's a lot harder. There's a lot of lessons in weeding for our spiritual lives. But the important part is to get the root out. We get the root out, don't have to worry about the fruit. The fruit doesn't follow. So Saul had rejected a relationship, and that resulted in all sorts of sin in his life. I told you there were two places where it talked about David being a man after God's own heart. The first is in 1 Samuel 13. The second is in Acts chapter 13. So I want to go there at this time. Acts chapter 13. Verse 22. Acts 13, verse 22. It says, After removing Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of... Oh, after removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man, what? After my own heart, who will do everything I want him to do. Now, as we read that, we're thinking, that's awesome. David wanted to do everything that God wanted him to do. But it's possible to look at that kind of from a skeptical standpoint and say, oh, well, God chose him because he was a robot. He just say, yes, master, I'll do anything you want. Whatever you want. And that's a, not the picture of Christianity that we want, right? That's not the picture of, of just this mindless service that, that we're mere robots in God's service. So what in the world is this talking about? I think we're going to kind of flesh this out as we go on, but I'm just going to say, in simple terms, it's about having a willing heart. It's about having a relationship, and when you have that relationship, you want to do the things that please the other person. I heard about a lady who was married, and uh, her marriage did not go well because her husband was very demanding. In fact, he made a list of all the things that she was supposed to do, cooking, cleaning, all these things, and he was very legalistic about this list, and it just got to the point where she just couldn't take it any longer. 
She, she couldn't live in this marriage any longer, so she divorced him because he just was so demanding. These are the things you must do, you have to do. It was just not a good relationship at all. Well, time went on, and she met a lady, a, a, a guy, I'm sorry, the lady met a guy that she fell in love with. It was true love, godly love, and it just was a wonderful relationship. It really restored her from her previous marriage, and... She found herself just enjoying doing things that made her husband happy, as he did for her. She, she wanted to prepare things that he liked to eat. She wanted to make the house nice because she had extra time for doing that. And he wanted to do nice things for her. He wanted to bring flowers home for her. He wanted to do all those things that you wonderful husbands and wives already know about and do on a regular basis. And one day, she was up in the attic. She was looking for something, or she was cleaning, and she stumbled across the list. And as she looked at this thing, for some reason she'd kept it. It just made her blood run cold, and she clenched her fist, and her jaw tightened up. She remembered the things that her other husband made her do. And she got so mad. But it was funny, as she started to read the list... She said, wow, I'm doing all these things for my current husband, and I don't mind doing them at all. What made the difference? Love made the difference. A genuine relationship made the difference. So as God looked for another person to be king, he wanted somebody to obey him because God knew it was best for the kingdom. But more than that, he wanted somebody who would have relationship with him. And so God saw the heart of David, and he said, this is somebody that I can trust to be the leader of this people. But I'd like to look a little deeper. Uh, we've heard about David in these couple of verses, but I'd like to ask David directly and hear more from his own lips, as it were, about David's heart. I want to know more what it takes to be a man or a woman after the heart of God. Would you like to know more what that involves? Well, we're going to do something that I don't recommend in ordinary circumstances. We're going to read David's journal. We're going to open up his diary and read and get a better glimpse into his heart. I call the book of Psalms uh, his journal, his prayer journal as it were. Let's go to the book of Psalms. Not all Psalms are written by David, you know. Uh, 73 are ascribed to him in the titles. Uh, there are actually a number of other authors. There's Asaph and his family. They wrote at least 12. The sons of Korah wrote 11. There was a guy named Herman. He wrote one. Solomon wrote two. Moses wrote one. That's Psalm 90. Ethan the Ezraite wrote one. Um, and then there are 48 that are anonymous. Although we know that at least one of those, or I believe at least one of those, multiple of those anonymous ones are also from the pen of David. Uh, in, in Hebrews 4.7, for example, it ascribes um, Psalm 95, which is anonymous to the pen of David. Um, and so there are probably others. Uh, some people have questioned whether those titles in Psalms are really legitimate. They, you know, they wondered whether we can trust those. But when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they noticed on the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were written before the time of Jesus, they had those titles. 
So those are very ancient titles ascribing authorship and sometimes little stories to each psalm. So they probably um, are very, very old and can be trusted. So I want to go to the psalms that are ascribed to David and get a better feel for David's heart. Because if we can understand his heart a little bit better, maybe it will help us to know a little bit more of what it means to be a person after the heart of God. So what I did this week is I looked up, I searched on my computer every time the word heart appears in the Psalms, and then I looked and I checked it with a list of Psalms written by David, and I selected some of the highlights, and I want to share them with you this morning, and I think you'll be blessed by them. Let's start in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, asking the question, what was the heart of David like? Because God looked at his heart and liked what his heart was up to. So what can we learn, and how can we be people whose hearts are after the heart of God? Psalm 19, verse 14. We're going to be blitzing through a number of psalms this morning. David there writes, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my what? Heart. Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, rock and my redeemer. David said, I want my words, I want the thoughts of my heart to be pleasing to God. Are the thoughts of your heart, are the words out of your mouth, are they pleasing to God? Look at Psalm 28, or rather Psalm 27, verse 8. Psalm 27, verse 8 It says, my heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. David's heart was saying, God, I want to seek you. God, I want to know you. He had a heart that wanted to know God, that wanted to seek God. I want that type of heart in my own life. Now let's go to Psalm 28. Psalm 28, verse 7. Another psalm written by David. It says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to Him in song. My heart trusts Him. My heart leaps for joy. You know, it's been said um, regarding perfect obedience, this... Perfect obedience would result in perfect happiness only if we had perfect confidence in the power we were obeying. I'm going to read that again. Perfect obedience would result in perfect happiness only if we had perfect confidence in the power we were obeying. In other words, you'll be more happy obeying God if you trust God more. Because if you don't trust that God is telling you to do the right thing, then you won't be very happy doing it. But if you really believe in your heart that God knows what's best, and by obeying Him and following Him, we're simply going to be doing the very best thing, then why wouldn't you be happy to do that? Why wouldn't we be happy? If you went to a mechanic that always gave you bad advice for your car, would you be very happy following that advice? No, we're not usually happy when we go to the mechanic anyways because it costs a lot of money. But certainly if they gave you bad advice, installed parts in your car that you didn't need, took parts out of your car that you needed, your car fell apart while you were driving down the road, that would be terrible. You wouldn't go back to that person. 
But God knows just what we need for our lives. The more we trust Him, the happier we're going to be as we obey Him. Let's go to Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verse 21. We're doing a survey of, of David's journal to see what David's heart was all about. Psalm 33, verse 21, it says, In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. David's heart rejoiced in God, and he trusted in him. Then, of course, that famous psalm, Psalm 51, one that many of us are well familiar with. The psalm David wrote after his big, big mistake, not only uh, having adultery, but also killing uh, the husband of Bathsheba. It's interesting, the same hand that wrote all these wonderful psalms also wrote that note to Joab. Put the guy out on the front lines and when the battle gets hot, withdraw. That same hand wrote these other things. David was not a perfect person. But David had a heart that was willing. And when he made mistakes, was willing to repent. You know, I was reading uh, this phrase, this, uh, patriarchs and prophets commenting on this. It says, but the history of David furnishes no countenance to sin. It was when he was walking in the counsel of God that he was a man after God's own heart. But when he sinned, this ceased to be true of him until by repentance he had returned to the Lord. David was not always a man after God's own heart, but especially uh, when God called him, and especially whenever he would repent and turn back to the Lord. Psalm 51, this great prayer of repentance, look at verse 10. It says, create in me a pure what? Heart. And renew a steadfast spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We need God to give us willingness to follow him. We can't be willing on our own. Verse 17, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. David wanted to have a heart that was willing and open to God. Look at Psalm 86. Continue on here. Psalm 86, quickly. 86, verse 11 and 12. It says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all of my heart. I will glorify your name forever. David said, I want my heart to be undivided. I want to serve you with all of my heart. Go to Psalm 119. This is not specifically ascribed to David, but um, historically many people believe that it was written by David. And when you look at Psalm 119, it's so interesting. Time and time again, you'll see a phrase here. Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are they who keep his statutes, who seek him with how much of their heart? All their heart. Verse 10. I seek you with how much of my heart? All of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Verse 34, give me understanding and I'll keep your law and obey it with all of my heart. Verse 58, 
I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Verse 69. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. And verse 145. It says, I call with all my heart. Answer me, O Lord, and I will obey your decrees. Are you beginning to get a picture about David's heart? David, somebody in his journal here in the Psalms, he's pouring out his heart to God and he's saying, God, I want you to have all of my heart. I want my heart to be willing to follow you. I want to praise you with all my heart. My heart says, I want to seek your face. My heart trusts in you. My heart rejoices in you. My heart says, give me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. He's using the same word there for create that God used in Genesis 1.1. Bara, where God created something out of nothing. He's asking God to create in him, out of nothing, a clean heart. I want to look at one more psalm before we jump to the New Testament real quick. Go back to Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verse 8. Psalm 40, verse 8, also written by David. He says there, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is written in my heart. Jesus echoed these words the New Testament, and I want to go there. Let's go to John chapter 4, verse 34. We've seen glimpses about the heart of David. I want to take you briefly to the New Testament to look briefly at the heart of Jesus. What is God's heart like? Well, we can look at the heart of Jesus, and we'll see very clearly um, one aspect of God's heart. John 4 34. Jesus says there, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Jesus said, my heart, my life, I get strength from doing God's will. That's what I want to do. Look at John chapter 5, verse 30. While we're in John, John 5, verse 30. By myself I can do nothing, Jesus said. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Let's go to the next chapter, John chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says there, John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And if that wasn't enough, we go to John chapter 8. Verse 29, are you getting a theme here? Are you catching the pattern? John chapter 8, verse 29. Jesus says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus' desire was to only please the Father. That sounds a lot like David's desire, huh? Sounds a lot like what we saw time and time again in the Psalms. David wanted to do the will of God. He wanted to serve God, just like Jesus here on this earth in the flesh said, I want to do God's will. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark chapter 14, we won't turn there, Jesus said in that prayer, Father, but not as I will, 
but as you will. David was picked to be a man, a king after God's own heart because David had a heart that was willing. David had a heart that was open, that longed for relationship with God and out of that relationship longed to obey God and to please God. So the question I have for us this morning as we begin to wrap things up is, what kind of heart do you want? Do you want to be a nurse after God's own heart? Do you want to be a physical therapist after God's own heart? Do you want to be a builder after God's own heart? Do you want to be an EMT after God's own heart? Do you want to be a secretary after God's own heart? Do you want to be a retiree after God's own heart? Do you want to be a student after God's own heart? A housewife? A husband? Do you want to be a person after God's own heart? God doesn't need a king right now, but he needs you. He needs what you're doing. He needs the things that he'll call you to do. If you're willing, God can say the same thing about you that he said about David. This is a person who has the heart after my own heart because their heart is willing. The thing about willing hearts is willing hearts are open to true love. Saul wasn't open to true love, a true loving relationship with God because the person he loved the most was himself. But when our heart is willing, true love is possible. You know, I've heard in the jungles there are various ways to catch monkeys. But one of the ways, I looked it up and apparently it's true. That's good. I try and tell true things. <laughs> One of the ways that they catch monkeys is by setting a trap for them. It's a simple trap. Sometimes it involves a gourd with a hole in it. Sometimes it's more like a wall with a hole in it. But in that gourd, you've probably heard about this, in that hole, there's something attractive to the monkey, whether it's something shiny or whether it's a piece of fruit. But they put it in areas where monkeys go by, and as the monkey goes by and investigates, reaches its hand inside that gourd, inside that hole in this man-made wall. It grabs on to that trinket, whatever it might be, and it tries to pull its hand out. And if you've noticed, the fist is bigger than the hand like this. I was trying to find a vase where I could illustrate this, but my hand would either not fit in or it would fit all the way in, and it just didn't work. And I didn't want to get my hand stuck. <laughs> so, picture in your mind. A monkey reaching in, making a fist, and then trying to pull its hand out. And it's caught. And in that moment where it's caught, still wanting this priceless trinket, the hunter springs out from where it's hiding and captures the monkey, all because it was not willing to let go. All because it was unwilling to open up. Are you willing to open up today? God can do good things through you. Let's open our hearts. Dear Father, we, like David, have our struggles, but we want to be people who day by day say, yes, Jesus, I'm willing to open my heart to you. I'm willing to be made willing. 
And most importantly, I want a relationship with you. And out of that relationship, I want you to improve my life. I want to follow you and be faithful to you. Lord, this is our prayer. May this be practical for us in our lives. And when we're tempted and when we forget about this this week, remind us about King David. Remind us about the Psalms. And may we be open to what your Spirit wants to do in us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Let all God's willing people say, Amen. Amen.